Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. Right, I'm going to tell you a story, a story about a guy called John and a girl called Mary. Uh, any Johns in here? Any Marys in here? They were safe. <laughs> okay, a guy called John, girl called Mary, Second World War. John is um, in the army, he's overseas, and the, the US government do a pen pal service. And they, they plan to have people writing pen pal letters to serving soldiers abroad. And so Mary decides she will write to a guy abroad called John. And uh, the condition is this, you're not allowed to send any detail uh, about yourself, in no pictures, it was just very low-key, innocent kind of thing, it's just letters. Do you remember letters? <laughs> Who can remember letters? Stamps, the days before the internet, the days before uh, email. So anyway, so Mary and John, they start this kind of just friendship, and over time, um, you know, they, they start to get to know each other. 18 months later, John's on home, uh, coming home from leave in the States, and they decide, you know, it'd be really nice to actually meet the person. And so, uh, so John and Mary, they make this plan, and Mary says, look, I'll meet you at the train station, it's Grand Central Station in New York, I'll see you there. And uh, uh, you know how, uh, Mary, Mary says, I'll see you there, and she says, I'll be the one wearing a red rose. So look out for me, I'll be near the platform and uh, I'll be wearing the red, red rose. So John goes to the Grand Central Station and he walks down the concourse and he's, he's looking out for the, the lady with the red rose, can't see the lady with the red rose, sees the lady in a green dress. Uh, the lady in the green dress is looking hot. She's, she's got, she smells good, she wiggles across the, the concourse, she's, she's got the lips, the hips, she's got all the kind of moves. Uh, he's thinking, wow, she's, wow. Anyway, he's, he's thinking as she walks past, I, I can't turn, I can't turn, I mustn't turn. He turns. Anyway, and, and the lady, she turns back in the green dress, big smile, walks off. Anyway, he's thinking, no, I can't, I can't, I can't. I've got to, I'm here to see Mary. All the letters, all the promises, the conversations we've had, it's Mary I'm here to see. So she walk, he walks across and he sees a, a different lady carrying a, a red rose, holding a red rose. Now, she's not the normal. She was a little bit different. She was... Um, <laughs> quite low hung and uh, she, she, uh, she was he looked at her twice and thought are you Mary he walks over towards her her ears are high her chin is low starting to dribble a little bit and he's thinking can this be Mary you know high hairline and everything else anyway he goes over to to the lady and says hi Mary you're carrying a red rose she said I'm not Mary Mary's the lady in the green dress. She just gave me the red rose to hold for you. And he turns back and there's the lady in the green dress, just looking to see if John was true to himself. Interesting story. Now, that was told by a pastor in the US. Pastor in the US. And uh, interesting, whether it's true or not, <laughs> 
Probably not, but um, it's an interesting <laughs> illustration. <laughs> Thank God there's no... Anyway, um, you know, it's, it, the point is this. It's not about the story. It's about what it represents. The illustration about how people are distracted, what motivates your heart, where your integrity is, what, what drives your response, you know, what, what, what happens. And so today, we're in the book of Ruth. We're on this theme, um, Can I Have a Better Life? Week 8, and today we're looking at relationship integrity relationship integrity which is why that kind of somewhat obscure story was there to kick us off relationship integrity integrity is not a popular word amongst society um, I spoke to a guy this week I was went to the gym did some exercise he knows I'm a pastor hadn't seen him for a long time we're just chatting away about a few things and uh, I don't know how we did it within minutes he was talking about the church and he's talked about my old career in business and I said to him, you know, I'd never take a backhander. I never, I said, when I got into situations where there was any dodgy behavior going off, I, I walked away from it. And I said, once there was a big bank and, and I, I even said to the, the bank, you know, I know there's a dodgy deal going on here. I'm walking away. And by the way, I'm going to invoice you 80,000 pounds for our work. And this guy who I was staying with at the, uh, at the gym, he said, are you for real? <laughs> he said, that's commonplace, you know, to, to take that sort of thing. And then it moved on a little bit and we talked about relationships. And I, I said, you know, I've been faithful to my wife ever since you know, we've been married. I was, I've always been faithful to her. And I said, there've been plenty of temptations and distractions in the world, because there are, but I've been faithful to her. And, um, you know, because I love her. And, and this guy said, well, that's good for you. He said, I'm not quite so, so committed as you. And I said, well, you know, what are you made of? You know, when we come to God, God knowing God and who he is, it's about... Um, understanding about ourselves as well. When we understand who God is, we understand a bit about ourselves. It was interesting to hear this guy's conversation with me just this week. But um, last week, Adam took us to a great number seven in our series. And I remember uh, some really key points from last week. And we're picking up the second part, if you like, of that situation that occurred last week that Adam took us through. And we've got Ruth and we've got Boaz and they're in this, this sort of barn type place, a threshing floor. And there's all this grain around them and what I loved, one of the things that came out, a couple of things came out last week. One was um, how women can really influence their men, do it after they've eaten and drunk. And that's something I remember from last week. Um, and uh, it was interesting that we, he picked up the idea that God um, weaves our life or reweaves our life from Genesis 50. Do you remember that last week? I love that piece of scripture in Genesis because we read about how God, he not only reweaves our life, he actually unpicks the old threads. That's what I really love. I love the analogy. You can take it even further. That God unpicks the threads of the things that may have been damaged or the picture that was created in the past. And if you've got a past where, where your picture really wasn't a great picture, there's, there's loose ends, there's broken threads, there's, God unpicks that and he literally, biblically, reweaves those threads. So he picks up the threads and he turns it into a new picture. I love that idea. I love that concept. I love that. And that's what we're talking about here in the study of Ruth. And as we move forward towards the back end of chapter three, we're in a situation where Ruth has been sent by Naomi, her mother-in-law, and she's in the threshing floor. And we've got Boaz um, asleep. He's woken up in the middle of the night and she's at his feet. Remember, that's where we left it last week. And now we're picking up from there. But just to get, set the setting as well, um, it's night time. You've got uh, Ruth, who's not an Israelite. She's a Moabite, we know that. But she's not an Israelite. She's not an Israelite. So she's not the most eligible of people for marriage in their cultural setting. 
But she's there because she wants Boaz to marry her. That's why she's there. That's why she's there. That's her intention. She's there to, to find a husband, really, and to find Boaz as that husband. But she's not an Israelite, she's not a virgin, and she's never had kids. So you put those three things together, she's not eligible. She's just a person who's there with a need. And even though we know that Boaz, we recognise him as, as a family or kinsman redeemer, um, she's there and there's a risk in her life. She's there and there's a risk. She can't have kids. So she, she hasn't got the blessing of God apparently on her life. She, hasn't, she wouldn't automatically carry the blessing of God in her life. But, but God has brought her into this situation, into Israel, into Bethlehem. God's blessing is on her life. She's from outside of the normal. She's outside the normal. She's come in. And there's no evidence of prosperity in her life, but there could be. And there's no evidence of destiny, but we know there will be. And that's where we come on a Sunday morning when we come to church. We're coming to a God who, who says, I'm going to take up the broken pieces. I'm going to pick up your pieces. I'm going to rethread those things that have gone wrong. I'm going to rethread the past. I'm going to rethread. I'm going to make you into a brilliant picture of my redemption, my restoration. I'm going to do that. So you're sitting here this morning. That's what God's, that's why you're here. You're here not to just come along and be entertained. You're here because God wants to rework some parts of your life. That's all of us. That's not just one or two. That's all of us. Why? Because we mess up. We are champion class A messer-upperers. <laughs> That's what we are. We mess up. This week, hands up anybody who didn't mess up something this week. See, we're in great company. Right? You've all messed up on something this week. You've all messed up. Right? And so God takes the threads of the mess-ups and he reweaves it into a picture of his grace. That's what he does. He does it. He reweaves it. So no one can point fingers at anybody else. We're here saved by grace. We're sinners, the Bible says. Sinners are simply people who get life wrong in God's eyes. And that's what we're talking about this morning. So Ruth 3, 10 to 18. We'll pick up the last verse that Adam read and then we'll move forward this morning. So this is New Living Translation. It says in verse 10, the Lord bless you. This is Boaz talking to Ruth. The Lord bless you, my daughter, exclamation mark. The Lord bless you. I love that because that was how he, he, remember in the very beginning week, we talked about how he met his workers in the, in the fields when they were harvesting. And he talked about God's blessing being upon them. And he says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. He's positioning this couple. Uh, Boaz exclaimed, you are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. Second time he's used that expression. I'll do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am only one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will, ask, uh, I will talk to him. If he's willing to redeem you, very well, let him marry you. But if he's not willing, then as sure as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning. But she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize uh, each other. Uh, for Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here in the at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned, then she returned, he returned, she returned to the town. Uh, when Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi, Naomi asked, what happened, my daughter? 
Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. And he added, he gave me six, these six scoops of barley and said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest till he has settled things today. The man, interesting expression that, the man won't rest until he's settled things today. You know, 99% of problems in life are caused by men. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. <coughs> it's true, you know. I know women carry a lot of responsibility for stuff, but men, we carry a huge responsibility for things that go wrong. Men are responsible. God has made us responsible. Not to lord it, but to serve and to do it right. Men mess up big time. And what I love about these scriptures is we're focusing on relationship integrity here. There's some absolutely brilliant things. There's some principles of walking in godly relationship integrity. And we're going to open just a couple of aspects of that this morning. My first point is that relationship integrity is attractive. It attracts. Relationship integrity attracts and it does what's necessary. It does. It does something. Relationship integrity does something. It's not passive. It's active. Relationship integrity is active. It's a doing thing. It's not a passive thing. But it is attractive. So you've got two people that are attracted to each other or becoming attracted to each other in this story because the story paints a great picture of relationship integrity. The integrity of these two people. But let's look at Ruth first. Verse 11 says... Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. This is Boaz. I'll do what is necessary for everyone in town knows you're a virtuous woman. They were both attracted to each other. But there was a difference. He uses the expression, my daughter. That implies that he's older than her. It implies he's older than her. And I think he is older than her. We know that Boaz, or we don't read about him having another wife. So he's an older guy who's not been married. Um, and he sees her in the light of a daughter. They saw in each other something that fulfilled a need in the other. It was attractive, but they saw a sense of godliness as well. And he uses that language all the way through this, this story as we've been reading it. And he says, don't worry about a thing. Please don't worry about a thing. I won't go high because the voice will go, because every little thing's gonna be all right. But it's interesting, isn't it? Don't worry about a thing. Don't worry. How many people worry in life about stuff? Every day. I bet you this week, at least once a day, we've all worried about something. You've worried about something. You've worried about something. Everything. Anything. Little things. Big things. Mediocre things. Things you've got no control over. Things you have got some control over. You've all worried. We've all worried. Relationship integrity takes fear out of relationship. It takes fear out of the relationship. That's what relationship integrity is about. It's about taking fear, uncertainty, taking the doubts out of relationship. And sometimes people do crazy things to another person while they're in relationship. Why? Because they're full of fear. They're frightened about stuff. They're frightened about what might happen, what could be, what might be, what hasn't happened. They're frightened about something that may or may not occur. But relationship integrity says that you take away the fear in the relationship. You make it a secure and safe place. Boaz said, don't worry about a thing. He took responsibility straight away. He took responsibility. He built the other person up. He was building the person up. As we look at relationship integrity, it's about taking responsibility. Now men, listen to what Boaz has done here. He took 
responsibility. 99% of the responsibility is with the man. Now, I'm not being sexist here. I'm just talking about God's order of things. Men, you are here to take responsibility. And even men who are not in this church, not Christians, God expects them to take responsibility. That's how God has made it. Why? Because God puts that ability, that power, that responsibility into their hands. God, take, God says, take responsibility and build the other person up. Build the person up. And that's what Boaz starts to do. He's already starting to behave like he's married, maybe. Uh, he's take, don't worry about a thing. I will do what's necessary. I will take the lead. I will do something. I'm not going to passively wait for you to do it. I will do something. Why? Because he has got to do something. And men, if you sit back too much, if, you, if you're too passive in relationship, you'll find that your relationships break down because passivity is not a good thing. It's an active thing. Taking relationship responsibility and integrity means we're willing to take a decision and take a step. Boaz said, I will do what is necessary. It's a type of Christ. We know that. We've picked up on the story that this, the picture of Boaz, he, he, he's a symbol in the Old Testament of Jesus Christ. I will do what is necessary. That's what Jesus did. I will do what is necessary. For the whole of humanity, I will do what is necessary. I will give myself for this world because God so loved the world. I will give myself. I will give myself. Jesus just... He just did what was necessary. And men, we don't do what is necessary sometimes. You've got to think, what is necessary? God knows what's necessary, and he's already working for us. He works for us. God provides the foundation for a better life. Why? Because he knows what is necessary. If Boaz is a type of Jesus Christ, then we know that God is doing what's necessary. God is doing for us what is necessary. Billy Graham says, when character is lost, all is lost. When character is lost, all is lost. Amazing, isn't it? And we're talking about character. So let's have a look at, at Ruth just for a moment. What does virtuous mean, anyone? Oh, don't, don't shout back, but think about it for a second. What does being virtuous mean? What does being virtuous mean? Well, dictionary says um, it's being worthy. Uh, it's having or showing high moral standards. It's, um, it's uh, and biblically, it's not only worthy, but it's being strong like a force, like almost a military force. Strange thing. It's like having your own army. Being uh, virtuous means that you've got something in you that is not only strong, but it's willing to fight for what is right. It's, it's not a neutral thing. It's an active force in your life. Virtue is a force in your life. She was a virtuous woman and he knew it. And he called her that in verse 11. You are a virtuous woman. He saw that in this woman... It was, she, was, she was someone with force in her life. She was going to do the right thing. So ladies, you've got to do the right thing. You can't be passive either, but you've got to do the right thing. You've got to be the right person you need to be. You've got to be strong. And it's almost like having, this, it's almost like having your pet army that you can call on to defend what you know is right and true. And even though the army may not really be there, it's what it's like inside your character. It's who you are. It's that determination not to, to waver in, in what you believe and know is right. Um, it's very, very interesting. Reputations are made and destroyed through lack of virtue. Made, or rather destroyed, through lack of virtue. I think it's very interesting, the words, everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. 
I thought about that for quite a while. I thought, that's an interesting expression. How come everybody knew she was a virtuous woman? Because virtue is not a common thing. That's why. Virtue is not common. Virtue is not something that everyone's got. And when they see it in someone, everybody knows. Why? Because virtue is not common. People are very w- willing to bend and f- switch with the breeze and, and go with what suits them and, and flex when they need to flex. When they're not in church, they're not quite as good as when they are in church. You know, when they're not with their Christian friends, they're willing to bend and compromise. They're willing to hang out with people who they shouldn't really hang out with. You know, the Bible says you become like the people you hang out with. You've got to be strong and this world will eat you. This world will eat you if you don't decide in yourself to be strong and true to your faith. This woman, Ruth, was a woman of virtue and the town, the village, knew it. They knew it. How did they know it? Because she stood out as someone different to other people. So you will stand out. You will stand out. You will have higher moral standards. You will stand out. I love this little, looking back to verse 10. Um, Boaz says, For you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Did you know that that expression, gone after, has a very, very profound, real root meaning? You've not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. In a, in a spiritual or worship sense, it would be, you've not followed another god. But in this sense, the way it's being used in the Hebrew is, you've not gone after, it's totally linked with you have not been promiscuous. You have, had, you have not gone out and had sex and sought men with sex. You have not gone after a younger man with a ritual. In other words, you've not, gone, you've not put yourself about to try and find a guy that will solve your solution. You've not done that. Whether rich or poor, that basically means anybody. You have not gone after. This is what this is talking about in the scriptures here. She was a woman who was virtuous and the people realized she had not put herself about. She'd not done it. She'd not. And you know, um, the devil is cunning. I'm telling you, girls, ladies, don't allow yourself to be tricked out of your godliness. Because your godliness, your virtuousness is powerful. It's a powerful part of who you are. And maybe you have made a mistake. And maybe you, you're just a bit easygoing and, and you, know, you just see how things go and life, will, how it's twists and turns. But you know, we've got to be very, very careful. Young people, they say, how, how far can we go in relationship? I would say to you, be very careful how far you go in relationship. You know, is it okay to kiss? Of course it's okay to kiss, but not okay to kiss with your shirts off. You know, it's not okay. It depends on context. You know, you know, your conscience, your conscience starts to become, and maybe you're more mature, maybe you've been around a bit, maybe you've been through some scarring moments, maybe you've, you've lived life, and maybe you have actually messed up badly, and you think, well, you know, I've messed up in the past, therefore, if I mess up again, it doesn't really matter. And in your brain, you, you believe the lie that actually a mess up from the past qualifies a mess up for today. And you are stumbling right into the biggest catastrophe you could ever walk into. Why? Because of something that happened in the past. And you know what, girls? Men out there, they're driven by their eyes. They're driven by, so if you wear saucy stuff, if you, if you wear the stuff that's going to get the attention just to get the attention, that attention doesn't stop at just the eyes, let me tell you. That attention goes way beyond the eyes. That attention goes straight into the imagination of a man's heart, straight into the imagination of a man's mind. And the guy is fueled, wired to go way beyond just the look. Going way beyond the look. So our desire to bring attraction human attraction 
isn't always the best thing. Though we want to look good, I'm not saying don't look good, I'm just saying know that there could be implications in trying too hard to look good. So be careful what you do, don't step over your own line, don't step over the line the Bible sets. Men are triggered by what they see. You know, once I was on business, I'll be a bit vulnerable this morning, once I was on business years ago, and by God's grace, I never, never uh, betrayed Liz. I never, in all my journeys going abroad, thousands of miles of flying, hotels, people, entertainment, hospitality, never once. But there are many times, there were some very close moments where, where the devil, and I didn't really see it as that, would just send a little messenger in to try and, and by God's grace, I mean it must have been a testing ground for me, because it, by God's grace I never fell, I never, I never let go of my self-control. And uh, one time I was in Madrid with some clients from a big bank in Switzerland, and, um, and I said to the guy, it was a very small, unusual, normally we went for the main, the main hotel brands, but this one was a small hotel near to uh, with the football stadium in, in Real Madrid. And um, with some clients, and I checked in, I was nice and early, and I said to the guys in reception, please make sure the internet service is turned off with the TV. Make sure the, make sure the TV video is turned off. I don't want any of the adult stuff on my TV. She didn't understand a word I said because I didn't speak Spanish very well. In fact, maybe my Spanish was so bad, <laughs> it worked against me. But anyway, I, I get a phone call, and I'm on my phone walking up to my hotel room. As I walk through the door, the TV's on already, loud and proud, with the most extreme video imagery already playing as I walk into the room of the hotel. That's never ever happened before or since, but it was absolutely stunningly shocking to me to see that. And I'd actually made the point of saying, can you turn, turn it off? So I turned around, well, I turned the thing off, said to my mate, who's not a Christian, you won't believe what I'm watching right now. <laughs> turned it off, went downstairs, can you, and she didn't understand a word I said. So in the end, I just unplugged the thing. But um, it's, it's, you know, what men see triggers a lot. Their imaginations are crazy with what they see. So you've got to be very careful. So girls, watch what you wear. You know, and I'm not saying if anything goes wrong, it's your fault. But you know, inappropriate conduct and behaviour leads to rape. It leads to abuse. It leads to unwanted pregnancy. It leads to things that were never part of the plan. It leads to damage. It leads to scarring. And you know what? The world, not only will the devil cause that, he'll blame you for it. He'll turn around and say, it's your fault. Right? It's your fault. That's what the devil does. It's your fault. But let me tell you this, God is a God who unpicks the threads and remaps the pictures. So by God's grace, you may be here this morning, you may be thinking already, you know what, I had a really painful experience in my childhood, in my youth, in my adolescence, in my 20s, relationships that I never wanted to get involved with. And somehow I just let my guard down and before long I, I was there and and you know, a five minute, a 20 minute, a half an hour experience has shaped my life since then. I have never been the same since. I don't trust men. I don't trust women. I don't, it, whatever it might be. I don't, why? Because the devil just comes to seek, to kill, to destroy. But God wants to unpick that past and reweave the picture. He wants to unpick it and reweave it. Don't worry, girls. You know, some of you may be thinking, but I want to find a husband. I want to, where am I going to find that guy? The answer is this, don't worry. Godly women will always attract a godly man. 
Godly women work. This is the story of Ruth and Boaz. This is the story. A godly woman, work on your godliness and you'll attract the right kind of guy. You will. You'll attract the right kind of guy. And guys, if you're looking for a woman, be godly yourselves and you will attract a godly woman. And if there have been mistakes made, there isn't a single person in this room who hasn't made a mistake of one sort or shape or another. It's just the degrees to which the scarring takes place. But you know, if you are walking a journey and today you're in pain because of an incident that happened years ago that wasn't your fault, or, or it may have even been your fault, maybe you knew it but you didn't realise it was going to go so far, God is the God who will heal. You know, um, God's so committed to, to, to healing us, he wants to have a, a, a restored life. He wants you to have a restored life. He why? Because restored people heal other people. You know that. Restor and people who've been through the pain of, of the scarring are the ones who carry the most influence with others. Proverbs 12 verse 4 says, A worthy wife is a crown for her husband, but a disgraceful woman is like cancer in his bones. You know, if you've ever seen Jeremy Kyle or Jerry Springer, all they're interested in is sexual immorality. That's all they're interested in. These programs, that's, they're written. That's what they're written for. They're written to gather those sort of people in. Why? Because they want to see what happens when you get different opposing views in a room because of immorality. And what happens? The thing is, the result of all those shows is always conflict. It's always conflict. You know, if you've ever had the misfortune of watching one of those programs, they bleep out half the program at times because they're just firing venom at each other, blaming each other for stuff. What the devil's done is he's, he's got people to a point of breakdown and then he's getting them to accuse each other to try and defend a position that actually he's triggered in the first place. So when these things start to break down, conflict is the outcome. Proverbs 22.1 says, Choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. Why is that? Because when you've got good character, when you are of good reputation, when you have protected what is virtuous, what is righteous, God can do amazing things with that. And God will do stuff right outside of your own capacity to, to do good. God will work beyond, he'll give you a reputation that goes beyond yourself. And then what comes in? Goodwill. You know, I was speaking to a guy this week, another guy, a man's man, tattoos all over his arms. He's a guy who runs two or three pubs uh, this week. I met him on Monday, chatting to him, having a good time. I was really interested in the conversation. I told one or two of you in, in the room earlier this week, he was really interested. He, he wanted to have clean pubs. And I said to him, aren't most of the pubs going out of business these days? Aren't they going bust? Aren't, are you finding it really hard to drum up business? He said, you know, the problem with pubs is there's some idiots running them. That's the language he used. Idiots running them who allow anything to go on in the pubs. People are doing cocaine in the toilets. He said, they're swearing at the bars. He said, I have none of it. I'm not having any of that stuff go on in my pubs. My pubs are places for families. They're places for communities. Now, I know kids can't go into pubs, but you see what he's saying. He says, I'm interested in creating a place where the community can have conversation. I thought, this is really, a, this guy could be a pastor. Do you get it? Now, I know he's a pub landlord, but I'm thinking, actually, there's quite an attraction. <laughs> but, but you see what he was interested in, in doing the right thing in community. He was interested in building the community. So... Shortland's Tavern. <laughs> right. Jeff. Interesting guy. Wants to come to BCC. When he said, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. I thought, you and I have got far more in common than you realise. 
Why? Because I'm interested in that. I'm interested in, if he's interested in, in having a good influence in community and doing the right things the right way, that's what I'm interested in doing. That's what we're interested in doing. And if there's a way of having synergy with someone like that, let's find it. Now maybe we can put a life group in the Shortlands Tavern. Come on, ignite. How about that? Look after yourselves, don't drink too much. But it's interesting, isn't it? Choose a good reputation over great riches. So that's the first thing. Relationship integrity attracts. Can you see if the motive's good, the attraction starts to be a good attraction. The opposite is also true. Secondly, rela <coughs> relationship integrity <coughs> protects. It does what's right. Relationship integrity protects. It does what's right. Test of Boaz character now. Older man. He really was interested to marry Ruth. He knew what was going on here. He did what was right. He was honourable. Like I said before, 99% of the problems that go on in a relationship are men triggered from the outset. But he, what did he not do? He didn't exploit her vulnerability. He didn't exploit it. He's there, night time, woman at the end of his, his feet. He could have done whatever he likes, really. He would have been able to overpower her. He would have been able to dominate the situation. He could have done something, but he protected her. He protected her interest. You know, God's plan is always one man, one woman, the bond of marriage. That's it. One man, one woman, the bond of marriage. You want a shortcut for having a good life and having a fantastic relationship? One man, one woman in marriage. Keep the relationship, the physical stuff in marriage. There are people probably in this meeting this morning who are outside of marriage in terms of physical relationship. You may well be in this meeting. Why? Because it's what society says is okay. It's what society says. And, and if we spend too much time around the wrong people, <coughs> We start to forget the difference between lust and love. We forget the difference. We forget the difference. Love is when you are serving the needs of the other person. Now, we've all got a journey. We're all on a journey of improving ourselves. I'm sure my wife would tell you that I've got quite a journey to go in that area. But, <laughs> but in terms of love, it's serving the, the, the interest and the need of the other person rather than our own. Whereas lust is the opposite. Lust takes away. Lust desires to please yourself at the expense of another. Now you may use the language of love, but so do pedophiles, let me tell you. So, so do abusers. So do people who end up doing the wrong things with the wrong people. They call it love, it's not love, it's lust. It's, it's desiring to please yourself at the expense of somebody else, at the expense of another person. At the, you, you may be in a relationship outside of this church, you may not be married yet, and you may be in a situation where, where actually you think, no, it's okay to let that lust have a bit of its legs. I'm telling you, it's very, very, very dangerous. Once you erode the integrity of your godly relationship potential, it becomes more and more difficult in your conscience to reconcile truth. And in the end, you find yourself doing stuff you never planned to do. Why? Because lust is taken over. Lust, the Bible warns above the pride of life and the lust of the flesh. Why? Because it's real. The devil walks around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And what's one of the greatest ways to do it? Sexual interest. It's got to be one of the biggest causes of sin in the world. And we know it because of the industries that are out there making billions. You know, it says um, in Matthew 5, 27 to 28, don't commit adultery. And lust comes through the eyes and ends up taking root in the heart. In Matthew 22, it says, uh, verses 37, 38, um, I command you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And in 1 John 5, 3, 
it says that loving God means keeping his commandments. So love is all rooted in obedience. It's not opinions. It's not what you choose. It's obedience. Real love is rooted in obedience. And if you really love the other person, you'll bring them into a greater awareness of who God is. Now, that's not what the world wants to hear. They would say love is do whatever you feel like doing and get whatever you want. But real love, biblically, is by bringing people to a safe, secure place where their love of Jesus Christ and love of God our Creator is built up. And if you really love someone, that's the test. Is this person truly building me up in my relationship with God? Because the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. The first commandment is love God. And if the relationship you're in is pulling you away from that, whether it's intentional, accidental, if it's pulling you away from that, then the question is, is it really building you up? It probably isn't. It's probably destroying you. You don't even realize it. Why? Because you're giving yourself over to something that can give you some sort of pleasure, maybe distract you, take your mind off other pressures. So real love is helping you to obey God. That's what real love is. Real love is rooted in helping you obey God. So what are the principles? They follow godly guidelines. This is what Boaz did. He followed godly guidelines. Did you see? He says, I'm one of your family redeemers. There's another man who's more closely related. I think Boaz is really, really keen on Ruth. Really keen. He really wanted to marry her. But he knew there was another man who was more eligible. And he was willing to take a step back and let that other man have the first choice, if you like. And it was a choice. It wasn't a legal... You didn't have to, by law, do what they were doing. But it was a choice. He was, but he was following godly guidelines. And if, he says, if he, if he won't, I will. And, you know, it made me really think about that. There are, we as believers, as Christians, God so often says, will you be the one to be part of my redemption process with somebody else? Will you be the one? Are you the one who's the most eligible to, to carry my message to somebody else in community? Will you be the one? But actually, so often, the one who's the most eligible for the role takes a step back and says, I'm not interested. Now, I'm trying to build a parallel here that, humanly speaking, in our Christian world, in our spiritual world, sometimes those who are the most suited for the role that God has got planned decide, you know what? I'm not interested. And then God brings somebody else in to do what we've just turned down. So think about that for ourselves. You know, maybe God's bringing you into a situation where you're part of his redemption process for somebody, but you've actually said, you know, actually, I'm not interested. But God's got a second plan, or a plan A, which has become the plan B, which is now the plan A, and brings in Boaz to the situation to help. Boaz becomes the part of the solution, or is the solution. Um, and Boaz, he didn't get too intimate. She lay at his feet till morning. He protected her reputation. He was concerned. No one must know that a woman was here, he said in verse 14. No one must know that a woman was here. Why? He was protecting her reputation, her virtue. He was protecting. If someone really loves you, they'll protect your virtue. They'll protect what you represent. If that guy, ladies in your life, is just there and he really loves the fumble, he really wants to take the kiss beyond the kiss, I'm telling you, there's no virtue being protected there. That's not godly behavior. That's not looking after your destiny. It's not even understanding what you represent. And maybe you're here today and, and your life has been absolutely messed up by a guy, ladies, who hasn't been like a Boaz. He's, he's, he's not understood it, or maybe he has understood it, but he's messed you up. God can sort things out. God is in the healing process. God is the one who will protect your reputation, will reweave your life and make that picture perfect going forward. And finally, with Boaz, 
he started a meaningful process. He saw the long term. In verse 15, it says, he said, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. He placed it on her back. What was all that about? There wasn't an awful lot of romance going on here, let me tell you. There was not a lot of romance, but there was a commitment starting to take place. And this is the first step of a commitment. It's the first step. He went straight to the process, and this process, there's a commitment. If there's a long-term relationship going to happen, there's a commitment process. It's not just do what you like and then figure it out later. There's a commitment process. Um, it's extraordinary. She took off her cloak, which wasn't the top coat, and it wasn't the base layer. It was something in the middle. Right? And he put it down, and he put more grain in that cloak than she was able to glean on the very first day she did her gleaning. So it's a lot. But you know what? The, the scholars, the guys who write the commentaries will tell you, they view this as being a deposit, the bride price. And when she was taking this grain back to Naomi, it represented a payment, a down payment, for his, regarding his intentions with Ruth. And that's, what, um, what's, that's what, exactly what he was doing. So Boaz was giving her something to, to make it clear of his intentions. You mustn't go back empty-handed. Why? Because when you give this to Naomi, she will understand that I am putting my deposit on your life. He started with a good process. He didn't start with, come out with me, you know, we'll go, go get drunk and go have an evening together and, and then you'll realise I'm the one who's going to save your life. Not at all. He started with, what is the right process, the right integrity, what is the right thing to do in a relationship? And the grain became a symbol, not only of a potential marriage, but future fu fruitfulness. Amazing. Future. Future. Got to get my F's out. <laughs> future fruitfulness. You try saying that fast. Anyway, but it's interesting. Um, God will bring you sometimes into his threshing floor. Empty. He'll bring you empty. But he'll give you something to carry something away with. And if God is working in your life, he will always give you something. As we come into his presence, like with Boaz, she went away with a full load. God will give us what we need to take out that will produce fruitfulness in our lives. That's what God will do. So this morning, God is working in your situation. Why? He's depositing what will make you fruitful as you come into his presence. And he'll never let you go empty-handed. You'll never go into the workplace, into the community. You'll never go into friendship situations empty-handed. It's your choice. But God says, come to me with what you've got and I will fill it up. I will put into your possession what belongs to me so that you can be fruitful. And that's what was going on here. What a brilliant, brilliant picture. God always gives us something to give away. There'll be something of today that you can give away. There'll be something of today you can consume. There'll be something of today that will make a difference in your life. There should be. There will be. There is. What is it? You should ask yourself, what is it that God is saying to me today, right now, that he's putting into my hands that I can take out of here and make a difference with? It's not random. It's not by chance. It's not accidental. It's not just another service. God is doing something today that he wants to put into your hands. Then finally, relationship integrity prevails. It achieves. It achieves what it desires. And of course, next week, we'll be looking at that next step of the process. But in verse 18 it says, then, then Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man, the man, he's now being called a man, won't rest until he's, re he's settled things today. So within the next 24 hours, 48 hours, he was going to make it happen. He was going to begin the process. He was going to make it happen. But be patient. And sometimes we don't want to be patient. We feel like we've always got to fix it. Remember Elimelech back in week one? 
He was impatient. He wanted to get food his own way and he took his family into years, maybe 10 years or more, of really damaging behavior. But what does she say? Naomi says, be patient. Be patient. And sometimes, ladies, you've just got to be patient when God is going to do something. It may not be exactly what you want right now, but God will do what he needs to do. Be patient. Be patient. It honors God when we're patient. Sit tight and wait. Um, but waiting can be hard. You know, I, I suppose like me, you saw in the, in the news this week about a guy who won the Victoria Cross. Did anyone see that? It was amazing. I'm amazed at that story. And, and it was for valor, courage in the, the face of the enemy. And a guy called Josh Leakey, he won this Victoria Cross. He's one of only 10 people alive today that, that actually have a Victoria Cross. I went back and I had a look at some of these guys. Who are they? What did they do? I found it fascinating. I think it's amazing. I've always loved the, the idea of being so full of courage and valour at a place of immense conflict and, and that you actually, you know, it's the old guy thing, you know, storm the hill, save the guys. But, but it's interesting. I thought, well, I wonder what the first Victoria Cross award was for. And uh, I did a little bit of look, looking into this. In fact, the first Victoria Cross was awarded in June 1854. Um, to a naval rating, a ship's mate called C.D. Lucas. He was in the Royal Navy, he joined up at 13, and at the age of 20, he's in a fleet battle at sea with the French, not against them, but with them, against a Russian fortress uh, called Bomersund. Bomersund, yeah. And this fortress had 80 big guns firing over the sea, and this little flotilla of ships that went out to attack this fort, as it got closer, a live shell came over from the fort and, and came crashing into the ship that this guy was on. This guy, Lucas, this naval rating was on. And this thing, it says it, says it was smoking evilly. <laughs> and it, had, it was basically it had a charge inside it and the thing was about to explode. And this thing landed on the deck of the ship. And this guy, this ship's mate at the age of 20, went and picked up this bomb and took it to the side of the ship and dropped it over the railings, to which point it went obviously underwater and exploded, and a huge plume of water came up over the ship. But of course, the people on board were saved. And because of his immense courage in the face of danger, he won the first Victoria Cross. That's how it happened. And I wondered to myself, I wonder how many of us are watching the smoking bomb and never have the courage to pick it up and stick it overboard? How many of us have not got the courage to get that thing out of our lives that's going to explode and if you don't watch it, it's going to blow you up with it. And that's what relationship integrity is all about. It's not only about showing courage, it's about doing the right thing at the right time and not waiting to see what might happen. Oh, it'll be okay one day, one day, it'll all work out well, one day. No, 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 no. that thing is designed to destroy you. Sin is never designed to be something that's fun. It's, ne it's never designed to be something, all right, it might be fun in the short term, but it's not designed to be long-term fun. It's meant to be something that destroys you, that kills you, right? So we've got to get that bomb and stick it overboard and let it do all its damage underwater. But we can do it, and God gives us the opportunity. And this morning, that's where your opportunity comes. Join me, Matt. And so this morning, when we talk about relationship integrity, we're talking about doing the godly thing, about doing the right thing. It taught, you know, we recognize that relationship integrity attracts. It does what's necessary. It attracts the right people and it attracts the right things in your life. It protects. It does what is right. It protects when it does what's right and it prevails. It does whatever it takes to get the right thing to happen, which means it means you don't just let the meeting go by. You don't just say, you know, one day, maybe one day I'll address this. One day I'll, I'll leave that bomb to just do whatever it's going to do. It might destroy the ship, 
It might destroy me, but you know what? I just look the other way. Maybe it'll go away. It's not going to go away. It's going to blow up. It's going to take the ship down. And it may well kill you in the process. And maybe you feel, felt like that's happened to you in the past, that the bomb went off. You didn't expect it. You didn't plan for it. But your relationship integrity got compromised somewhere, somehow, with somebody. And today, I'm drawing that to your attention. Because today, God wants to reweave some things. God wants to heal some things. God wants to mend some things.